three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 375. Welcome in. Uh, big show today. It's a long one. It is the last episode before we do NFL predictions. Remember, next Thursday, the Buccaneers play the Cowboys on Thursday Night Football. So that means that before next Thursday, I have to get my, at least my NFC side of my predictions done. Then I got Saturday and Friday to get out my AFC predictions. But I, after this episode, and a lot of content is in this episode today, I'm going to have to, I'm putting out some interviews and stuff between then and now, because I know it's going to be about a week of me doing lots of work, researching, trying to, because there's 256 games plus another week, however many games that is. I got to, I go through every single game. I pick a winner. I want to be up to date. The 53 man rosters are now completed. So that's a benefit. So there's nobody that I'm going to talk about that gets cut. And I don't think any big injuries are going to happen, hopefully, between now and week one when it actually starts. Um, I wait till as long as possible, but now I'm like, hey, crunch time, I got to get going. So the research will begin. I've, I've done it, started, like the groundwork's already laid out, but I really got to do even more in the next couple of days to get my predictions done and fully fleshed out. And remember, I take my time. I'm very thoughtful. I try to be... I don't just pick a random number and say it and shout it out. I'm, I'm never really that guy. I try to always be thoughtful, but especially... I take great pride in my predictions, and I get them wrong sometimes, but I, I really do try to put a lot of thought behind it. I hope that works for you guys. Uh, today, though, on the show, we're going to talk about Tom Brady. We're going to talk about which rookie quarterback will be the best this fall, which new head coach will be the best this fall. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, coaches who are on the hot seat, basically coaches who are in danger of getting fired. I uh, got a couple other follow-up stories. We might even talk about Josh Rosen down the road, depending on after this topic is recorded. I'm going to go do some research and find out if a guy named Menko on Patreon wrote and said, hey, Josh Rosen gave a really interesting press conference after his game against Cleveland in the preseason. Maybe go watch it. So I'll watch that. If it's worth talking about, I will talk about that later during the show. Got a lot of, I got a topic about more college quarterbacks to watch. I did a list a while ago of college quarterbacks to watch. I'm going to add a couple to that list. We'll do that in a moment. Uh, I do want to say real quick, and this is fun. Now, if you hate Kanye, skip ahead 30 seconds. If not, listen up. Uh, last episode during my sound check. So I guess technically it was before last episode. I was, you know, I do my test, test, test. I kind of, I tap the mic a little bit, trying to make sure everything's recording. Sounds right. I recorded a kind of a fun little bit about Kanye's new album, Donda. And I put it in the full show as a sort of an Easter egg. And I want to share an update for anybody who, who cares, because I, I, I started the conversation, I might as well finish it. I did not like Donda at first, Kanye's new album. Uh, there's like 27 songs. I'm like, what, what is this? I, I listened to a couple. The ones I listened to didn't work for me, and I'm like, well, I guess it's not for me. And then days have gone by. I listened more and more and more, and stuff got recommended to me on YouTube and uh, Apple Music, and I listened to way more songs. And I'm like, okay, uh, it's growing on me. And so I want to share an update that there, my three favorite songs so far from Kanye's album, Donda, are uh, No Child Left Behind. Now, No Child Left Behind is a great beat. It feels like the beginning of a song, and then I, I wish, like, I, I want, it's a bit disappointing because I want more. It's, it's like a, I'd love to hear a remix of No Child Left Behind with more rap and more twists and more beats and just more fun. Because right now it's like the, or, the organ is amazing and, you know... Oh, dude, I love it, but I, w I want more from that song, and that was kind of disappointing for me, but it's still, even to say it's disappointing, and yet also my favorite song on the album, 
It's a weird, crazy thought. My expectations maybe were too high because of the little trailer beats put out. Anyway, Moon is amazing. Moon is a song with, you know, fun guitar. And like, God, it's, it's a really, it's a vibey song. Uh, Come to Life is really good. Those are my three favorite songs from Donda so far. Anyway, let's, let's jump into the show. If you're not a Kanye fan, you're like blowing your brains out. Uh, I'm not normally either, but I, I got to say, Donda has really like roped me in kind of like a good TV show. Like it's been this weird long. Uh, anyway, someone write in about Kanye. I would love to talk about Kanye more. It's probably not appropriate on a sports podcast, but if you write in on Patreon, I will find the time to say even more about Kanye. Cause I, I could talk all day. I, I'm so fascinated by him. And I don't, again, I don't really like the guy and I'm still like, man, I got so much fascination here. Anyway, let's jump into the show. I did a topic the other day called, the seven teams that will not win the Super Bowl. And one criticism, or, or maybe just a the better word is comment, one comment on that topic was people said, like, why not just do a video or a topic like this about teams who are Super Bowl contenders? Like, why not just say, hey, these are the blank seven, eight, nine Super Bowl contenders? And first of all, people didn't know that this topic I'm about to share in a moment uh, was already planned and in the works. Uh, but I also like even said during the topic, I said, all right, that's enough picking on the bottom of the NFL. I was having fun with it. Kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Just having fun, like kind of making fun of the bottom of the NFL and saying like, Hey, I don't, these, you know, these teams just don't have a shot at the Super Bowl. Now, now here is why I will not make a topic saying, you know, limiting, like these are the seven, eight or nine teams that all have a shot at the Super Bowl. The thing is, I, I like to leave room for mystery, right? And I, I certainly maybe will make a topic about these teams are Super Bowl favorites, but I don't want to say these are the only, like I hate closing the door on like half the NFL. Because for me, the, th- the fun thought is a team that comes out of nowhere and competes for a Super Bowl. Remember the Giants won the Super Bowl one year as a wild card team. They beat the Patriots. And like why? Nobody could have seen that coming throughout the year. And uh, that's why I only included seven teams that will not win a Super Bowl. Like the Giants or team, I don't think the New York Giants this year are going to win a Super Bowl, but they could. And so I tried to only include seven teams. I'm like, I can say without a shadow about it, these teams are not going to win a Super Bowl. I just don't want to shut the door on too many teams. Now, for people who want a topic about Super Bowl contenders, this next topic might fill that void a little bit. Uh, So let me drink some water because as I look around the NFL, as I look around the NFL, there are so many really interesting, fun, competitive division battles coming up. And most divisions in the NFL have three or even more teams that have a legitimate shot at winning their division. Now, there are a few weaker ones around the NFL. For example, in the NFC South, the Buccaneers are the heavy favorite uh, to win their division. Only really... As I look around the NFL, there are so many really fun and interesting and competitive division battles coming up. Most divisions in the NFL have three or even more teams that have a shot at winning their division. Now, there are a few weaker ones, like the NFC South, for example, is most likely going to be dominated by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like New Orleans might, and I mean might, have a shot at challenging them. For the most part, we all assume, hey, the Buccaneers are going to win their division uh, in the NFC North, the Packers feel like the heavy favorite. Maybe, maybe Minnesota could challenge them. 
Uh, and the AFC South is going to be won by either Tennessee or Indianapolis, the Colts or the Tennessee Titans. So those are three divisions. I'm like, ah, they'll be fun. But hey, the Houston Texans are not going to challenge anyone for the NFC South. But the rest of the NFL has like three or more teams with a shot to win their division. And the rest of the NFL almost feels wide open. It's really, really a fun opportunity for us as football fans. For example, uh, the AFC North. I I have no idea what's going to happen there. You have the Pittsburgh Steelers who are trying to make a final run with Big Ben. And I've been skeptical of Big Ben for a long time. But he actually had a really good training camp. So the Steelers are contenders in the AFC North. You have the Cleveland Browns have maybe the best roster in the division entirely. They have year two with their young head coach, Kevin Stefanski. Baker Mayfield, I got a lot of confidence in him. People hate on Baker, but it's like, well, he's had nothing around him in Cleveland. He still has his job, and he's taken Cleveland to the playoffs. I don't know how much, how much more you want from Baker Mayfield. Uh, the Browns, I think, actually should be the favorite to win the AFC North. Uh, The Ravens have Lamar Jackson. That makes them always a wild card. They lost their running back, J.K. Dobbins. He tore his ACL. But Baltimore is still in the mix. Uh, You know, you got Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland. Now, the Bengals, they're going to compete. I I don't think, uh, let me say, not only do I not think, the Bengals have no shot at winning their division. But don't forget, the Bengals beat the Pittsburgh Steelers last year, late in the year. and, And they beat Pittsburgh without Joe Burrow. They played a backup quarterback and beat a playoff team, Pittsburgh. And last year, go watch Week 7, Browns, uh, Browns-Bengals. Really fun game. Baker versus Joe Burrow. The Browns almost lost to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati put up a fight both times they played Cleveland last year. So the AFC North is going to be really, really fun, really, really competitive. Now, how about the AFC East? The Jets are out. They're rebuilding, although their rebuild does appear to be going very, very well. But between Buffalo and New England and Miami, this division is up for grabs. Now, in my opinion, Buffalo should be the favorite. Uh, they went to the AFC title game last year. They have a good roster. They've got a coach I like, Sean McDermott. The Bills have a quarterback who I adore, Josh Allen, the best young quarterback in the AFC East. However, in spite of that, quarterback I like, coach I like, great roster. There is still no guarantee that Buffalo is going to win their division. Part of that is because of the Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick. And anytime your team is coached by Bill Belichick, you have a shot. Now, not to mention, coach, we love Bill Belichick. The Patriots also spent a ton of money in free agency rebuilding their roster. And they, man, it's impressive what they got. Now, they are starting a rookie quarterback. That is a thing that a lot of people are like, huh, weird, interesting. But I think Mac Jones is ready for this moment. He is accurate. He is uh, a good decision maker. He is a guy who I don't think is going to turn over the ball a lot. Now, the best part about starting Mac Jones at quarterback is that the Patriots really don't need to ask him to do that much. They run the ball very well. They play good defense. Basically, what New England is looking for from Mac Jones is early on, they want him to not turn over the ball. And I think they're hoping that by week 17, he's a very different player. Week one to week 17, he's going to grow. And be, I guess week, they're, we're playing 18 weeks this year. So week one to week 18, he's going to become a different quarterback. And hopefully by the end of the year, they can rely on him a little more to make game-winning throws and this and that. But even if he never gets to that point, if he's always a game manager throughout the year, he takes care of the ball, doesn't make costly mistakes, that is still enough. Because you know that's actually how Bill Belichick won his first Super Bowl with Tom Brady. So it would not shock me 
to see the Patriots make a deep playoff run. Do not count them out. Now, let's talk about Miami because it's very, almost kind of weird how similar New England and Miami are. They're both very well coached. They are disciplined football teams. In fact, Miami's head coach, Brian Flores, came from New England. He used to be the Patriots' defensive coordinator. Now, the parallels do not end there, though. Both Miami and New England have quarterbacks from Alabama. Tua went to University of Alabama. He plays for the Miami Dolphins. Mac Jones, the quarterback for New England, went to Alabama as well. They're very similar. They're both guys who are not highly mobile, who rely on good decision-making. And, you know, whether it's Miami or New England, if they get good enough quarterback play because of their defenses, Miami's got a great defense. New England has a great defense. They're also both weirdly very... uh, you know, led by their great corners on the outside guarding receivers. So it's kind of unbelievable how like over and over again, you can find parallel after parallel between Miami and New England. And again, I want to, I started to say this, I cut myself off. If they can get good quarterback play, both Miami and New England are capable of making a Super Bowl run. It just depends on how quickly do their young quarterbacks develop throughout the year. Now, uh, so the AFC East is a bloodbath. Buffalo, New England, Miami, any one of those teams could come out on top. But how about the NFC West, a division where this is truly anyone's division? Now, the Rams are probably the favorite to win the NFC West. Uh, They have one of the best, if not the best, defense in the entire NFL. They have traded for a star quarterback this offseason, Matthew Stafford. They have a great young coach, Sean McVay, uh, one of the better coaches in the NFL, the Rams should be the favorite to win the NFC West. However, Seattle and, uh, and the Seattle for, uh, can't even say it. The Seattle Seahawks and the 49ers are both teams that are going to try to push them from below. Now, what's interesting about Seattle and San Francisco is that they have, I would call it opposite problems. The 49ers have a ridiculously good team. I love their roster. I love what they've built, but they're short a quarterback. Their veteran quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. I would call him limited. He's just kind of the weakest link when he's your starting quarterback. And the rookie quarterback in San Francisco, Trey Lance, is going to be a star. I am so sure of it. But he's not quite ready yet. He's still developing. So the 49ers' weakness right now is their quarterback position. You look at Seattle, they're the opposite. Their biggest strength is their quarterback, Russell Wilson. They've got a couple stars in Seattle, three or four guys. Uh, Russell Wilson at quarterback, DK Metcalf at receiver, Bobby Wagner at linebacker, Jamal Adams at safety, where Seattle's got these incredible star players, but that's what they rely really, really heavily on. And it's kind of crazy. If you could take those four guys that I just listed and put them on the 49ers roster, it'd be over. The 49ers would win a Super Bowl almost immediately. And I, don't, I know you got to play eight, you know, 17 games, but like, imagine if you could combine Seattle and San Francisco's roster. I mean, even if you combined Houston and Jacksonville, you'd probably end up with something good, but two teams with opposite strengths, if you could combine them into one team, that would make a really, really bulletproof football team. And uh, while Seattle, again, they're heavily dependent on their stars, the 49ers do not quite yet have a great quarterback, the guy they've been looking for. They're hoping Trey Lance is that guy. I think Trey Lance is that guy, but he's not there yet. Now, Arizona and the NFC West is very, very interesting because The question is, can they put themselves in the mix? They've got this great quarterback, Kyler Murray. They've got a bunch of really good players, J.J. Watt, 
DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Chandler Jones, Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, and that's only naming a few of the guys Arizona has. There is so much talent in Arizona. But their coach is on the hot seat. The question is, how good of a coach is Cliff Kingsbury? Because Arizona has too much talent to not be competitive in their division. And if they aren't good, then Cliff Kingsbury is going to get blamed and ultimately going to get fired and lose his job in Arizona. So the NFC West, crazy competitive, four teams that really, if Arizona gets hot and you know someone gets injured in, in, in LA with the Rams, Arizona could potentially win that division. Anyone has a shot in the NFC West. It's very fun there. Now the AFC West, you have three teams that could win the division. And then unfortunately, I do not believe one of those three teams is the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders will be third or fourth best in their division, depending on what happens to Denver, depending on what happens to injuries at the top of that division. Now, we'll talk about Kansas City first because Kansas City is absolutely stacked. They have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. They've got a great coach, Andy Reid. Tons of talent. Remember, Kansas City lost the Super Bowl last year. You watched it. I'm sure you remember. Lost to Tom Brady. So Kansas City should be the favorite this year to win their division. But then you have Denver and L.A. And we'll start with L.A. The Chargers have underachieved in recent years. They got rid of their head coach. They brought in a new coach this year, Brandon Staley. They are hoping that he allows them to have a better edge in close games. Maybe the kicking game can get solved. Because there's a lot of talent in L.A. with the Chargers. They've got uh, maybe the highlight guy on their team. Great receivers, good defenders everywhere. But the best thing the L.A. Chargers bring to the table, if you want to watch them on TV, is their second-year quarterback, Justin Herbert. And many people, because of him, even consider the L.A. Chargers as a team that could be a dark horse Super Bowl team. Now, Denver. The Denver Broncos, if, and It's a big if, but if the Broncos can have their quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, play really, really well this fall, then not only does Denver have a shot at winning their division, Denver has a true shot at winning a Super Bowl. I know that sounds pretty crazy, but Denver has one of the best rosters in the entire NFL, top to bottom. Defense, the secondary, linebackers, great tight end, star receivers everywhere, good offensive line. I mean, it is really unbelievable how complete of a roster Denver has. They just need good quarterback play. And if they can get that from Teddy Bridgewater, they are a team that could easily win their division. The question is, how good is Teddy going to be? Now, finally, uh, let's talk about the NFC East because it seems like Washington should have been the favorite to win uh, the division. But I, I have Philly as the worst team out East. However, the reality is with Washington as the favorite Philly as the bottom, like how far apart are they really? Because anyone could actually win this division. I I hate saying that. I've been pretty unkind to Philadelphia. Uh, But even Philly, like what if I'm wrong and Philadelphia's new head coach, Nick Sirianni, is incredible. Remember, Philly has Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, two uh, fun, exciting receivers, Zach Ertz, Jalen Hurts. Like (laughs) that rhymes too. That's kind of fun. You You have some talent in Philadelphia. And if the coach is really good, it can pull the best out of his players they're not that far from the top of the division. I remember last year, Washington won the division and made the playoffs going seven and nine. That is how, I guess, almost weird and bad and competitive the NFC East was, where Washington only won three more games than Philly, who was the fourth team in that division. 
and Washington went to the playoffs. And part of that's because they were all bad and some were injured. Part of that's because it's crazy competitive and really fun and interesting in the NFC East. I love the fans. I love the passion out East. Now, the Cowboys got their quarterback, Dak Prescott, back from his uh, horrific injury. They've got some defensive, uh, I can't even say it. They have some decent offensive weapons. I really like what they got going on. CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. I'm not really that confident in the Giants' young quarterback, Daniel Jones. Uh, But it does seem like the Giants, as a team, are making a lot of progress under their second-year head coach, Joe Judge. And then Washington, I've said it before, they are the best team in this division. They have... If not the best, you know, it's them or the Rams have the best defense in the entire NFL, Washington or L.A. However, quarterback play is a wild card in Washington. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starting quarterback in Washington. His entire career has been marred with uneven play and very, very inconsistent play at quarterback. And so I'm really not sure what to expect. He's a wild card there, but they do have Terry McLaurin, a great receiver. They do have the added Curtis Samuel in the offseason. I'm excited to watch Washington. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is certainly being put in a position with a good defense, a good coaching staff, some good receivers where, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you could argue has been a guy who's never gotten this much support in his entire career. This might be the moment and we'll see. I thought the only other time Ryan Fitzpatrick really had a great team around him was in Tampa with Mike Evans and that great receiving core. So who knows really, but I am rooting for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I would love to see him do well And uh, Washington, I think, will win the division. But the truth is, anyone truly can win the NFC East. All right, guys. um, I want to, I need to take a moment real quick. I'm going to let you in behind the scenes. I'm recording this part of the show way before the rest. Today is, what, Tuesday? This probably will not come out until Thursday. I'm going to work all day tomorrow preparing the rest of the show. It's later in the day on Tuesday. Uh, I'm still working on and preparing the rest of the topics. And also, this episode get kind of thrown for a wrench where... It was very weird. I, I had to really reorder this ep- the, the first topic. I recorded like a bunch of stuff over and over again where I kept, I've actually been talking for 30 minutes. I don't know how far we are into the actual episode, but I, I've had to redo a lot of stuff because I had my power go out mid episode and it was very weird where audio kept going, but my camera lost power, my monitor lost power in front of me, but my light stayed on and they're all plugged into the same part of the wall, but one outlet I don't, I don't really understand. I don't, I don't know how I lost half power in this room. It makes no sense to me. It seems like it's okay, but that really threw me for a wrench. I was actually sweating. can't even talk. I've been talking for so long. I, I might even... Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a break. Uh, when I return, we will do Ask Zach. I'm still good. It's Tuesday. I don't need to record it. I want to put out what topic I just recorded, but I actually want to record Ask Zach. It's a very, very important Ask Zach. It's one that's... I talk about money a lot. I talk about head injuries. It's one that I think is meaningful to talk about, even if it's not necessarily convenient for me. So I'm going to take a short break. I'm going to gather my head and probably try to cool down a little bit. I'm very sweaty. Uh, When I return, we will do a very thoughtful and I think meaningful Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. I went and stood in front of a fan for like five minutes and that felt good my my fiance just got home from shopping or whatever she was doing so we had anyway um i want to be clear about one thing i am not normally going to do ask zach early on in the episode i don't want to make a habit of doing it at the beginning or as topic number two normally ask zach will be at the end of the show but today i have some stuff that is 
you know, I, I justified it to myself as well. It's what's done now, but I, I certainly could have waited to record it later. I could still, you know, I made a jump cut just then. I could have actually moved it to the back of the show and you never would have known if I hadn't told you I'm recording this earlier. But honestly, I really want to put this out now because I think there's some important stuff here about, uh, I think a lot of people, the way they look at YouTubers and podcast hosts, they have this misconception about them. I want to talk about that kind of stuff. I'm going to talk about head injuries in football, which is something that I know is not going to be popular. And I certainly, um, honestly, probably like am, am behooved to avoid, but I still, uh, I find it compelling and I want to talk about it. So it is now time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. In case you do not know how it works, go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to, please do. It literally helps pay my rent, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read on the show. Got some meaningful ones here today, but I want to start with Lino. He writes in, he says, hey, Zach, what do you mean when you say you, quote, believe in a player? When you say you believe in Sam Darnold, what does that mean? Does it mean that you think he's going to win an MVP award in the future? Or does it mean that you think he's going to be an average starter? What does that mean, Lino? Uh, so it's a good question. Let me clarify what I mean when I say I believe in Sam Darnold. I believe that Sam Darnold is the Panthers franchise quarterback and going to be the guy there for the next five to 10 years, right? I think, I think Sam Darnold is a guy who has been, you know, really not given a fair chance in the NFL. He got screwed over massively in New York with horrible offensive lines, bad coaching, bad talent around him. And so when I say I believe in Sam Darnold, what I mean is that I believe he will be the long-term quarterback in Carolina. I don't know if he's going to win an NFL MVP. A lot of that depends on his personal work ethic. A lot of that depends on the team around him. Does he have help? Does he have good players to throw the ball to? Stuff like that, a good offensive line. Uh, but I, I think based on what he's done in New York and based on how little help he had in New York, and then also based on how healthy the culture and the organization is in Carolina, I am confident in saying that I believe in Sam Darnold and that he will become the franchise quarterback in Carolina. What does that mean? Where does that go? Is that a Super Bowl? Is that an MVP award? I don't know. Again, I can't determine how hard he's going to work and how much they're going to support him in Carolina. But I think with a real shot like he has this time, he will develop into and become the franchise quarterback in Carolina. Good question. Thank you, Lino, for writing it. Okay, Jeffrey writes in. This is one of the questions I really, really wanted to talk about. I got a lot of, a lot of people ask me about this on Instagram, actually. So Jeffrey writes in, he says, hey, Zach, did you have to change your sleep schedule much after going to Hawaii? I know that you had some troubling, uh, I knew you had some troubles pulling constant all-nighters when you were in Portland, and it seems like you actually have a great sleep schedule now that you've made the move. What flipped the switch for you? Is it the time zone or just a tiring process of moving and being able to press the reset button? Hope all is well, Jeffrey. So Jeffrey, it's been really, really hard. Um, I've been trying to pull back. I'm a bit of a workaholic. Now, that's further encouraged by the fact that I love my job. Like I, I, I want to be clear. I, I love my job so much. It's the greatest job in the world. And I, part of why I work so hard is that I, I want to hold, like, hold on to that. I know that there's a lot of people out there that would love to do what I do. And I never want to take it for granted. I never want to seem ungrateful for the opportunity I have to talk about sports for a living. That's amazing. Uh, now, 
I built my company, right? For four years, I really three and a half. I didn't make any money. I was building it, building it, building it. And during that growth period, I had to work like a madman where I just, I was going and going and going. And I think any, you hear like startups, you know, people talk about their early years in their startup when they can't hire help and their money's tight and they're trying to work a second job. And I certainly, this was always a side hustle for a lot of the time that this podcast has been around it. I transitioned it from a side hustle to a full-time job. And while it was a side hustle and while it wasn't my full-time gig and I was in college or playing football or working for ESPN and Fox Sports, I, I had to do it on the side. So any extra time I had outside of my normal life went to this and I, it became burning the midnight oil every night constantly. And it was unsustainable. Like I had to work hard to get here. But now that I, I have a, an audience and I have enough income, I don't need to pull all-nighters all the time. I don't want to. Now, if I do all-nighters now, like the other night I stayed up to 4 a.m. just tinkering at my desk, having a good old time. Uh, that wasn't me doing that out of duty. It's because I'm happy and I was working at my desk, having a good time, enjoying my life and working. But I have been really, and not always successfully, really intentionally trying to sleep a little bit more. And I, I talked to my friend Kevin about this the other day. And I said that it's hard because the definition of discipline for me was always staying up late, like working as much as I can, pulling an all-nighter, staying up till 2 a.m., uploading as many episodes as I possibly could. And now I'm having to change my definition of discipline, really, where now it's discipline for me to say, hey, it's 10 o'clock, it's dark, I'm tired, I should go maybe read Jack Reacher for like an hour and fall asleep and go to bed. And it's been very, very challenging and very, very hard for me. So it feels like it's the opposite of everything I've ever known. I'm always, I've always been pushing for more and more and more. And now I'm like, okay, it's dark. Go to bed. Finish what you're doing tomorrow when you wake up. And I, I, I really, really want to be able to get to a point where when the sun sets, I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll finish up and then go to bed and find a stopping point and be disciplined enough to just go to bed because you need rest and uh, part of what's been helping me is I've been making much more shorter, more manageable episodes that have been easier to get out and move on from. Um, but I, again, I, I just, I love my job. I want to keep it that way. I really have this obsession. I, I love talking about sports for a living. I love making content. I write about, I write about movies. I write about video games. I'm just a nerd. I have notebook after notebook full of all kinds of notes. And I like sharing that with people. And so I'm trying to keep it where my relationship with work is one that I always want more of. You know, I don't want to burn myself out and get to the point where I dread getting to spend time at my desk. I don't want to ever force myself to have to do it. And part of that is taking breaks and resting at time. Uh, and I also, I, I got to be open about this. I want to be a dad someday. And I don't want to just be a dad someday. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a dad who's around, who doesn't work 100 hours a week or 16-hour days and can't go to my son's basketball games or my daughter's whatever, you know, I, I want to take my kids to the beach. I want to be around for my kids. And part of that means working a more reasonable schedule. Right. And, and maybe someday when I have more money, I'll hire an editor. I still, even if I do, I think I'd rather use that money to pay for my kids than, uh, than trying to trust someone else to edit my show. That means so much to me. Um, but I just know that I, I have to make a change at some point and I can't be, doing stuff that's unsustainable forever because it's just not going to work when I have a family someday. And it's even now, if I say, let's say my fiance dumped me tomorrow. And, and by the way, none of this was spurred on by her. I just realized like, I, I don't want to be the guy who 
is always pushing and always pushing and never stopping to enjoy my life. And, and, and Hawaii for me was, yes, an opportunity to reset, but I've been very intentional with, hey, go to bed, finish it tomorrow, be more um, like respecting my own time a little bit, saying, hey, Zach, you're tired. Because for my whole career, I've always relied very heavily on caffeine. And I'm trying to say, hey, if I'm, if I'm so tired that I need caffeine, go to bed. The show will still be there tomorrow. Like I just, I'm trying to make it so content comes out every day. And other than that, once I have content that comes out every day, then just work a normal, reasonable hour. I, I'm probably talking too much, but I, I hope that clears up my sleep schedule. And I, it's been a, a, a t- people write in about this all the time on Patreon. And that for me has been something that I am finally for the first time making progress at figuring out I'm not perfect. Again, the other night I stayed up to 4 a.m. That, that wasn't exactly me saying, hey, it's dark. I should go to bed, right? But the the key is that I'm I'm really working on it. And, you know, life is done one doable step at a time. To quit cold turkey and say I'm never staying up late ever again would be impossible. But little by little, I'm getting better and better at respecting my own time and saying, hey, it's it's midnight. Like, go to bed, dude. Wake up at six. I, don't, I only need like six hours of sleep every night. Uh, so, I don't know. I hope that answers your question. Devin writes in. And Devin got two questions in this segment. So, Devin, you're a special man writing great questions. Devin says, hey, Zach, I have a lot of different questions on this post. My question for you today, though, is at what point did you make the decision to make Strong Opinion Sports your full-time job? Were you already living on your own when you made that decision? Did you have to make a budget to see if you could make that change happen? Were you in school and or working when you made that decision? I'd love to hear about your thoughts process when you made that change to be, being self-employed. As always, I look forward to the next episode, Devin. So Devin, I know Devin uh, out there is a content creator. I know who he is, Devin Engel. He does the Here We Go show on YouTube. Uh, Devin, my, my advice to everyone is don't quit your job, right? Like, and my buddy Max is like so passionate. He's like, yeah, 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 I should quit my job. I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait until your side hustle pays for everything. Wait until you, I picked a number in my head and I have this number in mind and I'm like, okay, once I have this amount of money and I'm making that amount every month where I can pay rent and pay for my utilities and buy food. And once I made that amount monthly, then I said, okay, now I can make the jump and be self-employed. Now, I also had a really perfect intersection where I left my former college. I was, my career was taking off. I did not, I lived in my best friend's house in their basement. And I was like, this is this crazy inflection point where I'm not in college I'm finally making that amount of money. I feel comfortable enough going out on my own and I want my own place. I don't like living in my friend's parents' basement. So I got my own place and did that. And here we are. Now, the one advice I would give other people and the one thing that I did not do, like literally the first moment it was possible for me to be self-employed, I was, and that's awesome. And it's great. And I, I don't regret that. And it's actually very hard for me to say like, Hey, wait on that for an extra month because like you love what you do and you want to jump into doing what you're passionate about immediately. But I would encourage people, if you can have some savings available when you jump into being a full-time self-employed person, because when you're self-employed, there's no parachute. Uh, there's no, you know, there is no insurance policy. There is no, and by the way, taxes are brutal. And uh, I make almost nothing in the summer. I mean, in the middle of summer in July, when it's basketball season, how many people are interested in football content? Like way less than they are now. And I make most of my money during football season. I'm almost a seasonal employee. So I just encourage people, save your money. And if you, if you can have like 
uh, one month worth of savings ready before you jump into being full-time. That's what I recommend, if not more. Um, but I also, I, I just don't quit your job if you're not making any money from your side hustle yet. That's, that's lunacy to me, and that's certainly not what I did. Now, I want to talk about money a bit because and I, I don't, I, you can't win talking about money at all where it, I don't want to flex on people. I, you know, I live in Hawaii that feels kind of like the ultimate flex, but I also, I want to be realistic and my life is great. I'm very happy. Like, I'm so happy. I love what I do. I do what I love every single day. And to me, that makes me the richest man in the world. My buddy, Marcel coaches college football and said that to me. And I'm like, that's an amazing thing. I love that. Um, and I don't want sympathy. I'm not complaining, but I think people believe that I'm crazy rich because I'm a YouTuber and that's just not true. Right. I, um, in fact, I, we moved to Hawaii and I, I didn't calculate exactly how much money it would take to move. I, I underestimated actually. And so I had to borrow money to make the move, not monthly payments, you know, month to month. I'm fine. Actually monthly payments. I save money moving to Hawaii. I found an apartment that's smaller, um, I was looking at apartments in Vancouver, Washington. I was looking at apartments in Florida. The one I found in Hawaii was cheaper than every other option I found anywhere. So I got a great deal. I'm very lucky. Internet bills are lower. Uh, food at Costco is the same price here as back home. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going here. I, I guess I, uh, it, there was a moment where I got offered a gambling sponsorship. And I've had this principle for a long, long time. I've always said, hey, do not take money from gambling. I don't want to be the guy that promotes gambling. In my industry in sports, like most of the money from sponsorships are from gambling sponsors. And I, I got offered a $5,000 amount of money. And that would have made a massive difference in my life. And I, I thought about it. I really, I was in the shower before the show thinking about that moment. Like, man, I really turned down $5,000 even though I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills the next month. And I was like, I just had this faith that would work out and figure it out. And I, I got fortunate, you know, I, I, I did figure it out with some credit card stuff and all kinds of stuff. But I, it's been really hard for me to keep principled and not pursue money, even though like I want to have ethics, I want to make content that I love, that is quality over, you know, I, I never want to make a decision about the show just for money. Like I, I, there's a topic that a big one in the news today that I looked at and was like, you know, a lot of people would watch a video about that, but I don't know that that's a good video for me to make. And so I just said, I'm not going to talk about it. We're going to move on. Um, and I, I, that's part of what part of, I mean, I, I'm rambling now, but part of why Patreon is so great. It's because it's my only guaranteed amount of income in the middle of summer when <laughs> there ain't a lot of advertising revenue, there ain't a lot of football, you know, people interested in football, Patreon pays my bills. That keeps me afloat. So I want to say thank you to patrons. Um, and uh, I just, I don't know, I'm so grateful. Like I live in Hawaii, but my, my monthly payments aren't that much. And Hawaii is a weird place where people think, you, you hear Hawaii, you think it's super expensive. And it is if you're working in the Hawaii economy. If you're working at a surf shack or at, uh, God, we went to Kane's Chicken last night. The dude at Kane's Chicken who, you know, there's not a lot of jobs here that aren't paid on an hourly rate. And uh, because I do not rely on the local market here, I can, you know, pull it off to live in Hawaii. Bills aren't actually that much more crazy expensive unless you're shopping at Safeway. Safeway's crazy expensive. You're like the local grocery stores. If you shop at Costco, that saves me a ton of money. Um, but the big reason why I can live here is because I have income that isn't from the local Hawaii economy. I make money on the internet and actually every money, every amount of money I spend here just adds to the economy and helps it here. So, um, I don't know. I am rambling now. I'm talking about money, which is something that 
is controversial, but I wanted to share that because I think people think YouTuber, it's all glamour. It's all glitz. It's like, no, man, I'm a normal dude who I had a hard time paying my bills like <laughs> this last year. And when COVID hit, I remember, dude, I made like $400 one month. Uh, it was the same month I went to Yellowstone with my dad. My dad paid for the Yellowstone trip. Me and my fiance got in the car. He drove us to Yellowstone and COVID hit. There was no sports going on. Everything was canceled in 2020. And I was panicking because I'm like, dude, there, I'm not, I'm making $400 this month. That doesn't even pay my rent. Like well, I had some savings, thank goodness. But I just remember being horrified. And, uh, I just hope, I hope people know it's not all like, it's, it's really hard to be self-employed and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Okay. Landon writes in, and, and by the way, I talked about all that. Cause I just want to make it, I want to be realistic. I don't want to be the guy who I hate when you see content creators flex on their followers and they're not open and they make it seem like this amazing thing and it's not. So that's why I talk about all that stuff. Anyway, Landon writes in, he says, what position would you play on defense? Landon, I would play safety on defense, partially because I'm not athletic enough to play corner. Um, I could not run with, we had a guy who played, uh, Ryan Chang. Uh, at my former college, he ran incredibly fast. I could not keep up with him. Like, if I had to guard him, he'd just run right by me every single time. So I'm not athletic enough to play corner. I am too small to play anything else on defense other than safety. So safety would be fun for me because I think it relies a lot more on knowing the game, reading a quarterback's eyes, being smart, being in the right position, not letting yourself get beat, things like that. Uh, I could always make sure I'm in the right spot when playing safety. In fact, in flag football, that's what I do. I play safety all the time. I get a lot of interceptions. Flag football is not the same as real football, but I, I love it because even in flag football, man, when you, when a ball gets thrown up or you're contesting a pass and you're battling for the ball, it comes down to your aggression and your physicality and your desire, less skill. And I'm like, I, I can knock the ball out of your hands. That's just me being really aggressive. I cannot run with a guy who runs a four three, like, and, and or even probably a, a four six. Like, let's be honest, right? I'm a very slow human being, but I could play safety by being heady and keeping myself in the right spot, getting occasionally beat because I'm not the best athlete. But I could play safety, I think, uh, to some degree somewhere. And uh, and let me be clear about that: I could not. <laughs> I'm not playing safety in the NFL. Nothing like that. And that came across the wrong way. But my point is, if I played, if I were to ever play a defensive position during my football career, I would have played safety. Okay, Evan writes in and says, hey, Zach, what is something that you like about Hawaii that most people wouldn't think about initially? So not the weather or the beach or the ocean. What's something else? Evan, here's the thing that I definitely underestimated about Hawaii. I love the weather. I love that it's warm year-round. The, the swimming is amazing. But the food, food in Hawaii is unbelievable. And uh, my favorite restaurant here in Hawaii it's a local place. It's a franchise. Go support them. They're great. Uh, Zippy's is amazing. They have Hawaiian plate lunch. Uh, and Loco Moco is my favorite. It, this will sound crazy to people that don't know, but it's, it's rice. It's, uh, it's hamburger. It's gravy. And it's a scrambled egg. I like mine over easy because the egg juice just gets in everything. So rice, hamburger, gravy, and fried egg. And it's amazing. It's the best meal I've ever had in my life. I love that. It's that and Skyline Chili. I love. So look, the food here in Hawaii is amazing. 
Uh, Hawaiian plate lunch is amazing. The fresh fruit is amazing. Uh, and there's so much great Asian food here. I mean, any, any kind of Asian food you could want, it's amazing. There's so much. There's sushi at Costco, and it's $10, and it's cheaper than... For the quality and the price, it's unbelievable. Like, it's $10 for this much sushi that's this good. I, it blows my mind. I, I think it's underwhelming to my fiancé, but to me, I'm like, ah, I'm a kidney candy store. I'm so happy. And so I would actually say, I've been all over America. I've been to L.A., uh, been to the South, I've been to the Midwest, I've been to New York. I would say the two best places and the best food in the country is in either New York or Hawaii. And Hawaii's food is so, so underrated. It's like so dang good. Okay, Brandon writes in, he says, Hi, Zach, longtime fan of the show and wanted to join the Patreon community to show support. Being in the Marines, I loved the military-themed uniforms and was also a big fan of the breast cancer awareness pink. By the way, Brandon, thank you for your service. Do you have a favorite-themed uniform? And if not, what theme would you like to see added to the NFL? I want to see state flag uniforms. I want you to think about, uh, imagine the Denver Broncos with a Colorado-themed, like Colorado flag-themed uniform. It'd be very cool, very exciting. Oregon uh, has a really uh, like I've seen Oregon uniforms in college football with uh, or, you know flag themed uniforms where it's like a it's that dark navy blue with a golden yellow it looks really cool. Imagine the Arizona Cardinals with a flag colored Cardinals jersey. It'd be awesome. Now I don't know what the New England Patriots would do. New England is much more than just the state of Massachusetts, so that's a that's a hard point there. But as much as you can, man, imagine. And then what are you doing like? Miami where or in Florida where there's like you know three football teams do they all wear the state flag colors I don't know it's not a fully formulated thought but I I want something like that even in just the states that are like Arizona Denver Seattle there's no controversy there it's clearly in one state and it's clearly the only team in that state so I think that'd be really cool to me and that would be very very sick okay I want to give a warning here uh I'm going to talk about a topic that is important to me that is something that I'm nervous about that I honestly probably should stay away from. Like if you, if I, I'm not, I'm not going to call my dad. My dad is a guy who I call all the time uh, for advice on, Hey, should I cover this topic or this topic? And yes or no. And if I called him, he would probably say, Hey, just don't go down that road. It's too difficult of a topic to navigate. But I, I, I really want to talk about it. So I'm going to read Devin's question and get into it. But I want to give people a warning. If you don't want to hear about head injuries and in football, feel free to move on. And this is a heavy topic. It's a hard one to talk about for me. Um, but I think it is important. And so just, you have a, you've been warned. Feel free to skip it if you want to. Devin writes in and he says, Hey, Zach, I hope you're doing well. This subject was brought up on one of the hundreds of Joe Rogan's podcasts. Do you think that brain research will ever become so advanced that it exposes how harmful playing football really could be to the brain? To the point that it puts the NFL out of business. Or do you think the league is too important to the economy to go out of business? Or is there another fold that you have? So, um, first of all, this is something I've thought of many times because, um, you know, my, I, I'm a sports content creator. I talk about Formula One. I talk about basketball and baseball occasionally. But football is my bread and butter. And I remember thinking a while ago, I'm like, you know, the first time I thought about this was actually during COVID when there was no football happening. I'm like, is the NFL ever going to disappear? Like, could, could I be screwed? Like, would I lose my job if the NFL went away? And so um, I guess I just, this is a topic I've thought about a lot. 
And I, 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 I'm nervous to talk about it, and I do not say anything I'm about to say flippantly. I shared my bias. I work in sports. I make money talking about football players. Um, but I want to be clear. I, I grew up very poor, and I still live month to month. I mean, money's really tight right now for me. I just moved, and I spent all my savings on moving. And um, Now, some people play football and make life-changing money, millions and millions and millions of dollars, generational wealth. And the risks are known about brain injuries. We see people even now, like people retire consistently. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving football early. The, the risk isn't worth it to me. And NFL players risk their body every single day. And it's much more than just your head, it, you know, it, whether it makes you have Alzheimer's early. There's also other stuff like your back, your knees. Like, do you want to be able to walk with your grandkids when you're in your 60s? If you play in the NFL, maybe not. Like, you might not be able to do that. You might be in a cane and walker earlier than most people. Like, playing football has a ton of wear and tear on your body. And so, in my opinion, the two most ethical changes the NFL can make to help maybe even justify their existence is to one raise the minimum salary so that the guys at the bottom, the lowest paid players in the NFL make much more money and therefore have a much better chance of succeeding and getting generational wealth. And then two, all contracts in the NFL should be fully guaranteed. I don't want any bait and switch. I don't want contracts where a guy thought he was making this much. He signs for this much money, but then it's not actually true. And he makes way less than he thought. Every NFL contract should be fully guaranteed. And by the way, it would make general managers who are you know, giving out these contracts think twice before they pay a guy. So in theory, actually, it might help leave more money to raise minimum contracts. But what I think is really criminal is you have these guys who, even the worst player in the NFL, not only is really, really good at football, but he's also risking his body like crazy. Every, I mean, it's insane that... I know, I know it's funny to say these guys are underpaid because compared to you or me, you're like, that's so much money. But you think about it, an NFL career is three years is the average. And the amount of money you can make in three years if you're the minimum, like if you make the NFL minimum, is nowhere near enough money to be set for life. Oh, yeah, by the way, you might have really bad head injuries. You might have horrible knee injuries where you can't walk with your grandkids. Your back might be screwed up forever. And so, you know, whether you're an average player or the highest paid player in the NFL, you're risking your body the same. And so my, my thought is you got to pay the bottom guys more. You have to pay the guys who are, I don't care if you're a star or not, you should make tons and tons of money, more than they do now, where when you retire, you don't need to work again. Or if you retire and you're injured forever, you still can pay for your family to live for the rest of their life. And I, I want everybody to you know, finish their career in the NFL and not have to work ever again. And I know that's a crazy statement, but it's, it's achievable. It's if you may, imagine if everyone made a little more money every year, it's, it's, I know I sound crazy, but it is possible. And here's the, here's the reality. And it's a bit barbaric, but it is true. It's barbaric. It, it does. You could even argue it preys on poor people. now there are guys who come from JJ McCarthy went to ING Academy. He paid for a, clearly paid to go there. You see a lot of guys go to expensive private schools, then play in the NFL. So not everybody that plays in the NFL grew up really, really poor. But certainly, I grew up really, really poor. And if I was a guy who, and I know this is stuff that makes people uncomfortable. I, I acknowledge that. But if you're really, really poor, and someone says, hey, 
it might hurt your body, but you can make millions and millions of dollars. You go, I don't care that it might hurt my body. I'm desperate for money. And football will always be around as long as players can make life-changing money. Has anyone seen Thor Ragnarok? Thor Ragnarok has a scene where you, you have these giant guys fighting in front of a coliseum of people. And it kind of reminds you of like the Roman Coliseum days. And you can compare football to that a little bit where we have millions and millions of people watching these dudes beat their heads together. And the NFL only has a problem as long as, long as people that watch the game don't feel uncomfortable with that that fact, right? That when you watch a guy hit someone else helmet to helmet, that guy might be brain damaged forever. And as long as NFL fans don't turn off the game or boycott it or decide it's unethical and, you know, completely stop watching football forever, football's fine. But if that ever does happen, the NFL has problems. And one way to keep people, and I know this is, (laughs) it makes people uncomfortable to talk about, but one way to keep people from ever saying, hey, it's unethical is to pay people even more money. If the NFL was more honest about the challenges of playing football, saying, hey, like, yeah, you might get hurt forever. You might not be able to walk at a, at a risk of playing the NFL, but we're going to pay you accordingly, like hazard pay. The, at least the NFL could justify it a lot better than they do now. So my, my thought is let's pay the guys at the bottom even more money. Uh, football is also fun. Some guys would play it for free. Uh, I, I played football in college. Uh, and in just the right situation, I would probably still go play college football again. If there was a coach who wanted me, who had a good team around him, like if there was the right situation, I still might go play football again. I love the game of football. I love playing. I, I don't mind getting hit and I do it for free. Uh, now another thing is that this is a weird thought, but science and facts do not change people's minds. So you can tell people, Hey, football's bad for you. Football can give you brain damage. And it, and I'm sweating now talking about, it. I know I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I'm a little bit nervous, but it is true that. No matter what you tell people, and COVID's a great example of this, science and facts do not change people's minds. Like, look, alcohol is terrible for you, and people still drink. People still do it. So the point I'm making here is that you can tell people as much as you want that it's not good for you to play football, but whether it's cultural, whether it's uh, encouragement from family members, where it's financially driven, like, people are always going to want to play football as long as football's around. And uh, in fact, some people are going to learn about brain injuries and still have learned about brain injuries and, and don't care. And I think that's a bit barbaric. It reminds me of the Roman Coliseum where you're like, I don't care that these two people hitting each other are giving each other brain damage potentially as long as I'm entertained. Like that, that makes me uncomfortable to think about. But it is true. Like the movie Concussion came out and had Will Smith in it, a, a giant movie star, and, and no one cared. No one paid attention to that narrative at all. The NFL looked terrible. And what I just said about people hitting each other and not caring because as long as they're entertained, that feels like a Black Mirror episode, but that is to some degree what happens. And we don't fully know yet what happens, but I, I, here's why I don't like fantasy football, for example, is it dehumanizes people. We forget that these are human beings and say, I own X player. I own this player, and he didn't give me what I wanted. It's, people are not video games, and I'm rambling now, but I want to repeat this because this is important to me. If guys are going to take a massive risk with their body, get, getting hit potentially in the head or breaking their back or not being able to walk with their grandkids when they're older, then let's pay them more. Let's pay them hazard pay. And it, as long as people can make generational wealth playing football, football's going to exist. And, and I, I feel fine as long as a guy who is potentially getting hurt, A, knows the risks, and B, 
knows he's getting paid a ton of money and is being compensated for the risk he's taking, right? I just want people to know the risks. And then I, I would love it if the minimum players in the NFL who put their bodies on the line every day, I want those guys to get paid even more. And so if there's any form of activism I'm ever going to take on in, in my lifetime, maybe it's this. Maybe it's saying, hey, let's raise the minimum salary in the NFL. I think that's honorable. That's ethical to do. And uh, I, I don't know if I put everything eloquently. I don't know if I even made sense. But I'm, I'm doing my best. And I, this question struck a chord with me. I'm like, yeah, it is true that guys could get hurt really, really badly forever. Let's pay them as if that's fact. So I would, again, love to see the NFL raise the minimum contract a little bit more so the guys are making much more money during their career. And then I, I'd love to see only fully guaranteed contracts. And that will keep people more honest too when they give away a bad contract. Uh, but I, I hate the non-guaranteed contracts and I hate how low, believe it or not, how low the minimum payment is in the NFL. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I hope that topic made some sense. Uh, coming up down the road, we're going to talk about, gosh, we're going to talk about uh, you know, rookie quarterbacks, which one is going to be the best this fall? Uh, which new coach is going to be the best young coach this fall? I guess not even young, new coach. Like guys like Urban Meyer, uh, guys like Robert Sala. Like which one of these guys who just became an NFL head coach this fall is going to be the best? Uh, we're going to talk about coaches that I think are on the hot seat that are in danger of getting fired. We're going to talk about potentially Josh Rosen. We're going to talk about more college quarterbacks I think you should pay attention to. My name is Zach Schaumler. All of that stuff is coming up in a moment. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, it's been a while. It's it, kind of weird. I actually, it's been an entire two days since I recorded the first part of this show. Uh, this is why I try to do shorter episodes is because, you know, one episode that's an hour takes about two days, maybe a day and a half. A two-hour-long episode takes about four days, so I'm trying to get stuff out faster, um, and you know, really not, and not also not sacrifice quality by just doing shorter episodes that are quality rather than two-hour, two and a half episodes. Something tells me, in fact, I've already got an hour recorded, and we're like halfway through the show. So let me tell you, this is going to be a very, very long episode. I want to jump in by talking about Tom Brady because Tom Brady has always inspired me. And now he's doing it for different reasons. So growing up, I was very, very inspired by Tom Brady's work ethic. He was legendary for a guy who wakes up early, goes home late, works all the time. A workaholic, a guy who did anything it took to win. And I always loved that. I really looked up to that. And recently, things in my life have been shifting where uh, I got engaged in February. And anytime you, you, you know, get married or get engaged, you know, it makes me think of kids. I'm like, hey, do I want kids someday? What does that look like? And I'm not going to be having kids anytime soon. I, I know I'm still years away from that, but I do know that I don't want to just be a dad. I want to be a good dad. And I know that in order to be a good dad, in my mind, it means having time for your kids and spending time with them, playing Legos, playing catch, playing Barbies, whatever they want to do, right? Spending time with your kids. And for me, that means I got to have a better work-life balance where I'm not working 100-hour weeks and 16-hour days and just going, going, going. And it's been very, very difficult for me to pull back a little bit and do fewer all-nighters and actually go to bed, like, on time and wake up at a reasonable hour. And, uh, I, you know, again, I just that, – that phrase to me, I don't want to just be a dad, a guy with kids. I want to be a good dad. So 
while Tom Brady has always very much inspired me with his work ethic, it's actually Tom Brady, the dad, who has recently been inspiring me and, and making me go, huh, he's found a way to do both, to work really hard and still find room for his kids. And I think that's amazing because recently he revealed that his 14-year-old son, Jack, is a Buccaneers ball boy this summer during training camp. He's the guy on the field who, like, you know, he resets the ball in the middle of the field or brings, you know, if a ball is thrown behind, uh, like, way out of bounds, he'll go get it, bring it back. Like, he's just on the field around his dad who's playing football. And I find that just very, very cool. This is not a long story, but to me, I'm like, man, Tom Brady found a way to both work his tail off and also simultaneously spend time with his kid where it might be a moment to hear. It's not. It's probably not extended father-son time, but on the sideline, hey, Jack, how's it going? Thanks for ring the ball. Like little moments here and there. And I, I know as a, you know, my dad, I love my dad. We're very close now. When I was a kid, he, he worked all the time. And I, you know, I, I didn't see him very much. You know, when I, was, when I was Jack's age, 14, I didn't see my dad very much at that point. Uh, later on, 16, 17, my dad was around way more. Uh, but for a period of my life, my dad wasn't around. And I know that any little meaningful moment means the world to your 13, 14-year-old son. And uh, for Tom Brady to find time where he can both work and spend brief moments on the sideline, on the field with his son, that, to me, is not only very inspiring, but very, very cool. He's a guy who's broken so many records on the field. We always talk about Tom Brady, the quarterback. Seven Super Bowls, MVP awards, this, that. But uh, one of the things, and Tom Brady and LeBron James are actually both very similar in this, where... They're not only inspiring with how they play sports, they're also inspiring off the field or off the court with how they treat their families, how they get along, how they treat their kids, uh, their supportive dads. And to me, that goes beyond sports and I think also deserves some praise. And them as role models beyond being athletes, I think is very, very exciting. Now, here is a quick side note I want to take note of. Uh, Tom Brady recently said in an interview, he gave the quote to NBC Sports. He said, and he's talking about retirement. Tom Brady said this. He said, I'll know when the time is right for retirement. If I think I can win a Super Bowl, then I'll play. So he said, I'll know when the time is right, but as long as I think I can win a title, I'm going to play. And it's interesting because this is the first time I've ever heard Tom Brady openly acknowledge retirement and not just kind of pass it off. Like this feels like kind of a milestone and I might be making something out of nothing. In fact, I probably am. But I look at this, I'm like, I'm not sure what this means, because Tom Brady, whenever he's asked about retirement, he goes, oh, I'm going to play till I'm 75. Like, he always throws it, you know, a different direction and deflects. And this is the first time I've ever heard Tom Brady answer directly about his retirement, saying, you know, hey, as long as I can win a title, I will play. Well, what if he thinks he can't win a title? That moment might come someday, and I don't know when. It feels like we're a ways away from that now. Certainly this year, the Buccaneers are title contenders, but... It just I found this interesting because it felt like we were getting slightly closer to the end, more than I've ever seen before from Tom Brady. And I, I'm probably picking apart a quote that's meaningless and a throwaway line. But it was interesting to me because, again, I, I watched Tom Brady very closely. And, uh, you know, you could almost call me a stalker. Right? I really because that's my job. I listen to every quote he gives. He's the you know, biggest athlete in the NFL, in my opinion. And he's never acknowledged retirement the way he did in that moment where he said, when the time is right, I'll know. And as long as I can win a title, I'll keep playing. He always in the past has said other stuff where he says like, well, you know, I'll play till this. I'm going to play. It's always meant about him, not about how well his team does. And that's interesting to me. So to me, I don't know, probably making something out of nothing. But I'm curious if that does mean anything. We'll find out later down the road. I just asked that question again. 
what happens the, uh, on the day when he doesn't feel like his team is good enough to win a title? Does he leave or will he retire? Keep your eye on that. Keep your eye on Tampa Bay. Okay, let's shift gears to rookie quarterbacks. Now, there were five rookie quarterbacks taken in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft. It's funny I say rookie quarterbacks. Obviously, they're rookie quarterbacks. They were just drafted. Uh, we're about a week out from the beginning of the 2021 NFL season. And three of these young guys are going to start week one. Two of them are not. Two of them are going to start week one on the bench. And I want to go down the list, talk about each one of these quarterbacks, uh, and share my thoughts before the year starts. Kind of, it's almost like an impression or a mark in time where I'm going to talk about their development at this point. And this is a baseline for where we will go for the rest of the year because they're going to get better as the year goes on. It's hard to know who's going to be the best in five years from now. Like Justin Fields, I think, is probably Justin Fields and Trey Lance are the two that are not going to play immediately in this year. And they both have some polish to go on, but they're also maybe the most gifted athletes in this draft class. So maybe Trey Lance, maybe Justin Fields could be the best guy five years from now after a process of development. But right now, this is where we stand with these rookie quarterbacks. And I actually want to start with the Jets rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson. I absolutely love this guy. Uh, I am not saying Zach Wilson will have the best career of these rookie quarterbacks. Uh, that depends partially on the team around him and, of course, partially on the work he puts in as the years go on to make himself a better player. But right now, today, at this point in development, Zach Wilson, I believe, is the best rookie quarterback in the NFL. And I believe he's most prepared to play part of that. First of all, he's not going to have as much support around him as... Mac Jones in New England, and that is going to hurt him. Like, he's on the Jets. He's not on a really good roster. But Zach Wilson is ready to play. When you watch him in the preseason, I thought he was ready to play when you saw him even at BYU. Uh, he gets a ball out very, very quick. He's good at recognizing blitzes. He, I, I love Zach Wilson. This is a key part of his game. He's very mobile. He can move around and extend plays, and that's going to really help him this year playing in New York behind the Jets' offensive line. And then I love, I love... I love Zach Wilson's ability to throw the football. I think he has the – man, I don't know how – I'm trying to think of a better way to put this than saying he has the best arm in this draft class, but I think his ability to throw the ball from different arm angles, make throws on the run, like he makes it look easy much more than any other quarterback in this draft class. Like Trevor Lawrence has a great arm. Mac Jones has a great arm. Like all these quarterbacks throw the ball at an incredible level, but Zach Wilson does some stuff with the ball that is special. The eagle like that just – I'm not sure everybody can make that throw on the run into that tiny window down the right sideline. And Zach Wilson can do some special stuff with his arm. I love his style. I think he might be my favorite quarterback to watch play in this draft class. And he will start week one for the New York Jets. And I believe he's going to make a lot of big plays in New York this year. Now, the Patriots will also be starting a rookie quarterback week one. Their guy is Mac Jones. In fact, it'll be really fun. We have Patriots, Dolphins week one. Tua versus Mac Jones, two former Alabama quarterbacks, two former, you know, one is a, the Patriots coach, Bill Belichick. One is the former Patriots defensive coordinator, Brian Flores. That game is going to be amazing. Uh, but Mac Jones, back to him, could not be in a better situation for his career where he potentially could be the rookie quarterback who wins the most games this fall in 2021. I think he's definitely the rookie quarterback on the best team. They run the ball well. They play good defense. And Mac Jones is ready for this moment. I'm sure there will be some small learning moments as the year goes on. But Mac makes good decisions. He gets the ball out of his hands very quickly. He's, his processing ability is where it needs to be to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. 
Uh, he plays very clean football. I, again, I can't say this enough. I love that he gets the ball out of his hands very quickly. He's a decisive decision maker. He'll recognize blitz. He'll make. He'll probably honestly be kind of boring to watch play quarterback because he's going to throw five yard pass after five yard pass, and eventually, I hope he'll stretch the field. But I think Mac Jones might be kind of like what we saw with Dak Prescott during Dak Prescott's rookie year, where he just shreds you with five yard hitch, five yard hitch, stop route underneath route, underneath route, movement routes underneath, shallow crossers. I mean. It won't be the most exciting way to watch football, I don't think, but he's going to be incredibly effective doing that for the Patriots. They got two tight ends. They run the ball well, lots of play action. And he's a typical, I think, honestly, of any guy they've had in New England, he's probably the most similar to Tom Brady skill set wise, where he's just going to, you know, cut you to death with a, tiny, a thousand tiny little cuts. And as long as Mac Jones does not have a ton of turnovers, the Patriots can win. Now, here's the thing. Mac Jones doesn't have to do a lot for the Patriots to be able to win football games. But if he plays really, really well and is doing much more than just stuff underneath and playing safe, if he's really launching the ball downfield, making big throws downfield, I think Mac Jones could put up big numbers and, in fact, maybe even win the rookie of the year. He's going to play all year. He's going to be on a really good team. I'm not confident saying that Zach Wilson is going to win the rookie of the year. I think Zach Wilson is a guy who's going to put up good numbers for the Jets. Uh, and I think, you know— Mac Jones might have him a boring year, but win more games. And it'll be really interesting to see that battle between the two of them for rookie of the year. Or does another position out of nowhere do that? Uh, I think this is a year where it's very possible a position other than quarterback does, in fact, win the rookie of the year. Uh, but again, Mac Jones is a guy, based on the talent around him and his ability to play, has potential to win that rookie of the year award. Now, Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence will also start week one. He's a rookie as well. And I, I got to say, man, I am worried for this guy. Not about this guy. I'm not worried about him. He's good, makes good throws, looks very, very ready for the NFL. But I'm worried for him because his coach, Urban Meyer, has never coached in the NFL before. Uh, by the way, his offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, got ran out of Seattle. And Urban Meyer's been making a lot of rookie mistakes, already being investigated by the NFLPA. Uh, it was very weird how the Jaguars made Trevor Lawrence split reps with Gardner Minshew the entire training camp and then just traded Gardner Minshew away, meaning that they basically wasted 50% of the reps they could have given to Trevor Lawrence instead on a player they weren't actually going to invest in long-term, Gardner Minshew. And so, now, I, let me be clear. The Jaguars have some decent young talent. They got some good receivers there. LaVisca Chanel, DJ Char, a couple other guys. Uh, I don't hate what's going on in Jacksonville talent-wise. The question is, can Urban Meyer develop their young talent I don't know so I, I believe Trevor Lawrence is going to have a very similar season to what Joe Burrow did last year in Cincinnati he's an obviously very good young quarterback who is going to be held back in my opinion by his team the Jacksonville Jaguars and by the way hopefully the bad team around him doesn't get him hurt like that's I, I just see that so many parallels between Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence going number one overall to a bad team and who I fear might get hurt as the year goes on uh, based on the team and the, the bad lack of talent around him in some areas. Young players with potential are not necessarily the same as young players that are really, really good, and they're kind of on that fine line. And so Trevor's season really depends on can the Jaguar staff develop the young talent around Trevor and give him enough help to win and hopefully stay healthy. Okay, let's talk about Trey Lance. He is the 49ers rookie quarterback. He will start the year on the bench behind Jimmy Garoppolo, their veteran quarterback. And that is very much the right move. Trey Lance is not ready yet. But I got to say, this dude is insanely talented. I am very confident. Once he is ready, he will be the next guy, very similar to Justin Herbert or Josh Allen, who's this big, 
physical quarterback who, you know, will start raw, making big runs and impressive throws. But as he gets more and more polished, we saw Josh Allen kind of reach that peak last year where Josh Allen was not only very physically gifted, but also very polished and fully developed. We're going to see that from Trey Lance as well, in my opinion, a, a long development process where by the end of it, you're like, hey, this dude is really, really special. And so he's going to be a star. I think Trey Lance could be, you know, down the road, five years from now, could be looked back on as the best quarterback from the 2021 NFL draft class. He's paired with fantastic head coach Kyle Shanahan. They have a lot of talent in San Francisco. He's got a huge arm. He can run. Trey Lance, once he is ready, will be a star. And I'm really glad that he's got Jimmy Garoppolo there as a buffer so that the 49ers don't need to rush him on the field. Whenever Trey Lance is ready, it'll be his time, hopefully not a moment before that. Now, Bears rookie quarterback, Justin Fields, he's already a star, man. I look at the fan base in Chicago. They are already very much excited and very much ready for him to be their starting quarterback. Uh, But he will start the year as the backup quarterback to Andy Dalton. And in my mind, that's good for two reasons. Now, the first reason why I like hearing that is that Justin Fields, frankly, just isn't quite ready yet. You watch the film, and you can see flashes of like, wow, that's going to be amazing once it's ready. But you also see moments where he had a great moment. I forget who he was playing in the preseason, where he just did not see a blitz at all. Didn't recognize it, got blindsided, fumbled. They got a penalty, luckily. But moments like that where you're like, he's just not quite where he needs to be development-wise. And then that kind of leads me to my number two reason, which makes me very glad that Justin Fields is not playing week one. It's that week one, the Bears play the Rams, and the Rams have arguably, it's them or Washington probably, arguably the best defense in the entire NFL. And I don't know that I want to play my rookie quarterback, Justin Fields, my like prize stallion, this dude who were like, we are so hopeful for his future. I'm like, let's not put him out to the wolves, throw him out to the wolves week one against an incredible defense, make him figure it out on the fly. That sounds like a recipe for a disaster and probably a really uncomfortable start to his career. So I'm like, hey, let's wait till we're playing a team that maybe doesn't have the best defense in the entire NFL. Now, the question after that is, when will Justin Fields play? Like I said, I'm glad it's not week one, but unlike Trey Lance in San Francisco, the Bears are not as good as the 49ers. They're not going to be winning as many games, I don't believe, as the 49ers this year. And their coach, Matt Nagy, is in danger of getting fired. And I just hope that Matt Nagy doesn't put Justin Fields out there, ironically, you know, on the field. They call him Justin Soldier Fields. I love his last name. Hopefully they don't put him on the field too early as a desperate move by Matt Nagy to save his job. Hopefully when Justin Fields takes the field, it's because he's ready, not because Matt Nagy needs to do something to try to save his job. And uh, I just have to add, though, I want to say this. I want to be very, very clear. I'm a huge fan of Justin Fields. I think that between him or Trey Lance, they are the most like gifted physically, just like these dudes can do stuff that no one else can do. And there's not a lot of guys with the skill set that Justin Fields has that I can think of that have failed in the NFL. Like he is so gifted. And I think Matt Nagy gets a lot of flack. Uh, We'll talk about what will happen if it doesn't work out. He'll get fired, unfortunately. And for the longest time, I blamed the Bears failures on Mitchell Trubisky, their former quarterback. So we're going to find out this year. Was it Trubisky or was it Matt Nagy or maybe both? And um, I just want to say, though, there have been moments on film watching Mitchell Trubisky where he had people open. He had opportunities to get completions or even touchdowns downfield, and he didn't pull the trigger. And I I am very hopeful that the relationship between Matt Nagy and Justin Fields is not only going to work out, but even if Matt Nagy gets fired and moves on, 
I still think the potential Justin Fields has is through the roof. And I, like, for example, if they fire Matt Nagy, maybe they hire Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator from Kansas City, bring him and develop Justin Fields. Like, Justin Fields' potential, and then also what he did in college makes me go, he's going to be successful. I don't know what the path is going to look like, but I am very, very confident in Justin Fields' ability to figure it out and become a very successful NFL quarterback. Dude can run like a running back. He can throw the ball very, very well. He's a blast to watch. And uh, I, I very much find myself not only rooting for Justin Fields, but very much believing in Justin Fields' ability to develop into a franchise quarterback. And hopefully, like, the Bears just so desperately need a quarterback. It's been year after year after year of Rex Grossman and, gosh, Mitchell Trubisky and then all these other names I can't even remember, like just Kyle Orton. Do you remember him? Like, oh, my gosh. It's been – have the Bears ever really have had a – franchise quarterback. I believe this is true. I think they've never had a quarterback who's thrown for over 4,000 yards in an NFL season. That is unbelievable. So I'm rooting for Justin Fields, not only for him, but also for Bears fans who've lived their entire life not really having a franchise quarterback. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I am going to take a short break when I return. Coming up, we will talk about which new NFL head coach will be the best this fall. After that, we will, we will discuss four head coaches who may get fired in the NFL. They're in danger of getting fired if they do not do well. And then later down the road, we will talk about Josh Rosen. Uh, we'll talk about Baker Mayfield. I need to clarify something I said earlier during the show. I'll do an update on Scott Frost, the Nebraska head coach. And finally, at the end of the show, a crazy, wild college football story I found. That is coming up. That and more. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, I want to share kind of a crazy thought. I look back on my kind of thoughts on these five young rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, and I think it's very possible that all five of them are really good, and that's rare. Like, usually every year there's a guy or two who doesn't work out, a Dwayne Haskins, a, I mean, Josh Rosen, right? There's always one guy who's a miss, and I think... Because of what's around them, Matt Nagy might crash and burn. That might affect Justin Fields and make him be a guy who uh, doesn't work out in the NFL. It might not even be his fault. The other guy I'm worried about is Trevor Lawrence, who I think is being put in a bad position in Jacksonville. And I, I think whether I don't know what's going how things are going to play out in Jacksonville. I think he, Trevor Lawrence can weather the storm if Urban Meyer is terrible. The same way Sam Darnold might resurrect his career in Carolina. Um, but it's interesting that the guy who everyone thinks is the best quarterback by far, Trevor Lawrence, because of how highly thought of he is, he went number one overall, and that might actually keep him from succeeding because of going to that horrible organization. So keep your eye on that. Very interesting. But I got to say, overall, I think this might be one of the best young quarterback draft classes we've seen in a long, long time. And uh, I, I'm very, very excited to watch these five young guys develop. Now let's talk about head coaches because there are seven new head coaches in the NFL this fall. And look, I want to start this topic with some honesty because I am still developing my opinions on these guys. Uh, and this is a topic I will revisit, you know, throughout the year and then after the year as well. I'm going to revisit this topic often. Uh, but I do want to share my kind of thoughts and expectations before the year does begin uh, as kind of a baseline for these seven young, uh, not even young, seven new NFL head coaches, because some of them, you know, David Culley's in his 60s. 
Uh, now, these guys, for the most part, other than, you know, Dan Campbell has been a head coach briefly in Miami uh, as an interim head coach. But these guys, for the most part, have not coached a game in the NFL yet. And so obviously, as the year goes on, my opinions will change and evolve based on what we see and what we learn uh, from these seven new head coaches. But some of them, I even try to be very clear, like, I don't know how they're going to do and I'm going to wait to cast judgment until we see what they have and until I learn more about them. But first of all, I want to start with the Jets' new head coach, Robert Sala. I have friends who've met him. Uh, my friends that have met him speak very, very highly of Robert Sala. And, and I would say, go watch the 49ers defense last year at the end of the year. He was a 49ers defensive coordinator last year. And even though the team had a bad record and the season was lost, their defense fought really, really hard. And they were very sharp and played well. And to me, that's the mark of a good defensive coordinator who can bring the best out of his players. And to have guys in a season that's lost fighting so hard, to me, says a lot about Robert Sala. Now, the Jets are historically a dysfunctional organization. Ownership problems and you know, problems really from top to bottom, just toxic, awful stuff. But I got to say, right now, the current, for lack of a better term, like cast or ensemble of Jets people in the front office, whether it's you know the GM Joe Douglas, whether you have the head coach uh, Robert Sala, I really like. I like their offensive coordinator Mike Lafleur, brother of Matt Lafleur, the Packers head coach. I love the Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson. So I look, I like where things are going for the Jets. I think they're headed in a good direction. They're clearly rebuilding, and I do not think they're going to win a lot of games this year. But that's okay. This year is about growth and development for the New York Jets, and. I got to say, I feel good about Robert Sala. I think long-term he's going to succeed, even if this year is a rougher year. But again, the Jets' future is what I feel good about, and that to me is what matters. So I like Robert Sala. Okay, coach number two, Urban Meyer. He's the Jaguars' new head coach. And I got to say, I have a lot of respect for the career he had as a college football coach. He went you know, 187-32, and 32, won three national titles between Florida and Ohio State. But here's the problem. We're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. This is not college football. So Urban Meyer's got a really hard task of learning how to coach in the NFL. And we saw once Nick Saban, who many people believe is the best coach ever to coach in college football. Some people argue other people. That's fine. I don't, I don't really care about that, that debate. But Nick Saban has won six national titles as a college football head coach. He failed as a head coach of the Miami Dolphins in the NFL. So college and the NFL are not the same. And I am very skeptical of Urban Meyer, not just because he's never coached in the NFL before, but because he keeps making rookie mistakes. You may not know, he's already being investigated by the NFLPA for some of the stuff he's been doing in Jacksonville. Uh, another mistake he made, in my opinion, was during training camp, he split reps between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew 50-50. And then he traded away Trevor Lawrence, or sorry, <laughs> then he traded away Gardner Minshew. And you're like, uh, why'd you take away these valuable reps from your starting quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, to give them to Gardner Minshew, a guy you didn't even keep? And to me, that felt like a, a bad judgment and a, a misstep there. Uh, players already apparently are unhappy with what Urban Meyer is doing in Jacksonville. And I, I got to say, it is true. There are a number of talented players in Jacksonville. Guys, I look around, I'm like, hey, that's, some, that's a good player. That's a good player. There's a lot of talent there. But for Urban Meyer to be able to win in the NFL, he needs to be able to connect with NFL players and then ultimately develop their young talent in Jacksonville. And 
NFL players are very, very different from college athletes. They're not taking classes. They're older. They have kids. They have families. They're getting paid. And you often hear college coaches talk about developing young men. And they give this kind of long spiel basically for parents about how they're going to help their kids and develop them and get them ready for the real world. And NFL players don't want that crap. And I already saw an article where Urban Meyer was talking about how he doesn't like how little time he spends with the players. In college, you spend more time with your players. In the NFL, you're spending more time in film rooms, in meetings, you know, preparing for stuff. And Bill Belichick is not trying to make you into a good person, right? You might do that as a byproduct of working with Bill, right? Bill has good philosophies that you might learn work ethic. You might learn all kinds of stuff. But that's not Bill Belichick's priority. He's not trying to make you into a better person. And the way Urban Meyer relates to his players is going to be very, very key. He's got to do it in a way that appeals to NFL players rather than college football players. And it's super important how he does that. And then the way him and his staff can develop their young talent, that is crucial to how well he does in Jacksonville. They've got good young players there, but they got to get better, and they got to develop into really high-quality NFL players, not just some young guys with some talent. Now, Dan Campbell is the Detroit Lions' new head coach. He made waves during his first-ever press conference in the NFL. Uh, I'm not, if you don't know, just Google Dan Campbell kneecaps. You'll find it on Google. Uh, you'll have a fun time there. Honestly, I didn't mind the quote. It's, it's old news now, in my opinion. I think worst case, people were way too hard on it. I think Here's what I mean when I say worst case. Worst case is Dan Campbell got too passionate about football during a press conference. And I don't know that that's not exactly what the Lions need. Maybe the Lions do need some passion and some heart behind their coaching staff. And especially after what they just went through with Matt Patricia, who was very cold and had this demeanor people didn't like. And so I'm on the fence about Dan Campbell. Is he going to be a good head coach? I'm not sure, but I certainly, the way that Dan Campbell talks, his passion, the way he talks about his players, it's compelling. I love Dan Campbell as a person, and I'm definitely rooting for him. And I got to add, I, I really like what he's done. Part of what he did was, part of, I love a couple things here. Part of why I like Dan Campbell is that he played for 10 years in the NFL as a tight end, so he's got a player's mentality. He relates very well to his players. Uh, he also knows the NFL. He was once a head coach briefly in Miami. He did a, a pretty solid job as the interim head coach in Miami. They didn't keep him, but he went 5-7, and seven, I believe. Well, the players liked him. People wanted him to be kept in Miami. Unfortunately, uh, he did not get hired in Miami. But I think, I don't know, man. I, I really like what Dan Campbell's doing. I think his knowledge of the NFL is going to help him. He's certainly not making the rookie mistakes that Urban Meyer's making. And then I also love the offensive coordinator he hired, Anthony Lynn. Uh, he was the Chargers head coach last year. He did not do good enough, obviously, to keep his job in L.A. He could not win big games. They could not capitalize on a lot of the talent they had. So Anthony Lynn may not be a very good head coach, but he is a good offensive coordinator. I like Anthony Lynn. I think he's got some good ideas and good stuff going on. Uh, now, Dan Campbell is going to have some challenges where first he's going to have to overcome the culture in Detroit. The culture there is a mess. It's an organization that is really, really problematic, had bad ownership, had all kinds of problems. That's hard to change, the culture of your organization. Now, the second problem Dan Campbell's going to face is that his quarterback is Jared Goff. Uh, they traded for Jared Goff uh, from, uh, from the Rams. Remember, they traded Matthew Stafford to the LA Rams. They got Jared Goff in return and a couple first-round picks. There's a reason why Jared Goff was traded with multiple first-round picks to get rid of him. And Jared Goff has to prove himself. I am not sure that Jared Goff is going to be the Lions' long-term quarterback. 
Uh, now, if he's bad, obviously that's going to hurt their season this year. However, the good news is that the Lions have multiple first-round picks in the next couple NFL drafts. And so if Goff is terrible, they can find his replacement either by drafting the guy straight up with a bad pick or maybe even packaging a couple first-round picks together to move up in the draft and get the replacement. So I think where the Lions are right now, they got a coach who is passionate, who I like, who is a player's coach, and I think he's going to get people to fight hard for him. Is he good at being a head coach? I don't really know, but I like him. He's got a good offensive coordinator. He's got a good staff. I think he's put together in Detroit. And even if Jared Goff doesn't work out in Detroit, they'll be okay because they've got draft picks they can use to eventually replace him down the road. All right, Brandon Staley is the new L.A. Chargers head coach. He does replace Anthony Lynn, the guy I just mentioned. I am not going to pretend that I know a ton about this guy. I don't. I really don't. And I'm excited to see how he does and judge from there. Last year, he was a Rams defensive coordinator. He's only 38 years old. He's actually six years younger than Tom Brady. But he did a very, very good job as the Rams defensive coordinator. They had one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the entire NFL. And in L.A. with the Chargers, the other team across town, he's got a lot of talent, man, including, by the way, their young quarterback, Justin Herbert. So I'm hopeful about Brandon Staley. I have nothing bad to say about the guy. I also don't have much good to say about the guy. I know he's done a good job as a coordinator in the past. Uh, I think it's likely he's going to do a great job in L.A. based on his the way he talks and what he said. But he seems smart. He's highly regarded. And uh, I'm going to wait till I get more information on Brandon Staley to really give a lot of information and say a lot of opinions. Because I'm just like, ah, I'm learning and figuring out more about this guy every day. Now, Arthur Smith is the new Atlanta Falcons head coach. Last year, he was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee. And I felt like he needed to evolve their passing game. And I, it's kind of weird to see a guy who I thought left something on the table get hired as a head coach. Uh, but I don't know. I just I was waiting and waiting for that evolution of their passing game, taking a next step forward, and it never did happen. So that was not my first. That was not a great first impression with Arthur Smith. I wasn't like, oh wow, I love this guy. Oh, now we got hired. Awesome. I was kind of like, ah, oh weird. Uh, now, so I'm very lukewarm on Arthur Smith. Uh, he also has some problems on their roster in Atlanta, but I'm trying to have an open mind and we'll see how he does. But I, I'm not all in on this hire. I don't love him. I don't, I I just, his, his team is bad. He's an okay coach and we'll just, we'll see what happens, but I'm willing to have my mind changed as things go on. Now the Eagles hired a new head coach, Nick Sirianni. Uh, he used to be the Colts offensive coordinator. Look, I, uh, I kind of hate talking about this. Uh, and I know that. Eagles fans especially do not like when I talk about this. His first ever press conference in the NFL as a head coach was terrible. And it was a really, really bad first impression. Obviously, it seemed like he was very nervous. He was sweating. He was rambling and just going on and on about this. Like, it was like, what are you talking about, dude? And since that first impression, he's actually gotten better in press conferences. Go watch him today. He's got a much different demeanor than he did in that first ever press conference. And so I'm going to wait and see how his team does before I judge him. By week 8, 9, or 10, we'll have a really way better idea how good of a coach Nick Sirianni is going to be. Uh, so I don't love the guy, but I'm trying to have an open mind, and we'll just I'm going to wait to save my judgment until uh, we see how he does. He might crash and burn, but he might surprise me and be amazing. And now, the Eagles organization is very, very tough. It does not seem like Nick Sirianni has much power there. Uh, the team has... Some flaws. I do love two of their quarterbacks, Gardner Minshew and Jalen Hurts. The starting quarterback there is Jalen. Um, but again, I'll, I'll just wait and see. It does seem like he has recovered from his 
really bad first impression. Uh, and uh, look, we'll see. He seems like he's doing all right. I have an open mind, and uh, we'll see what happens with Nick Sirianni this year in Philadelphia. Now, David Culley, uh, the, the, other, the final and seventh higher uh, new head coach in the NFL, David Culley is a guy who, oh, man, he's a Texans new head coach. I just feel bad for him. And I, man, Houston's a mess top to bottom. They're just a really, really problematic football team. They're the worst in the NFL. In fact, they're so bad that no one wanted the job. Between ownership problems and the quarterback situation, Deshaun Watson, the legal battle there, nobody wanted this job. I mean, the Houston Texans could not find anyone to be their head coach. And, in fact, they had to go to David Culley, a guy who, like, his name was not even mentioned in, in all the conversations about you know every other team that had a head coaching uh, job open. I never heard David Culley's name one time. And this is my job. I follow this very, very closely. Uh, so that was kind of the first sign that, huh, this guy might not be the best head coach we've ever seen. Uh, he was previously the Ravens' passing game coordinator, which is weird to hire a guy, uh, the passing game coordinator for a team that is known for how well they run the football. And so I feel bad. This guy has no shot. Unfortunately, it's not fair. It's not his fault. He's going to a terrible organization. He probably shouldn't have been hired to begin with, but Houston's organization is a real problem here. Bad ownership. A quarterback situation that is a terrible mess. Uh, just problem after problem after problem. And so if and, and when David Culley does fail in Houston, I don't even blame the guy. I just think that he's in an impossible situation in over his head. And uh, I feel bad for the guy. And I just say, I, I don't wish anything bad against him. I just, my prediction is it's not going to go well in Houston. And that feels very, very obvious. Okay, from guys who are new to the NFL, let's talk about people who are not new in the NFL. There are four coaches in the NFL who are in danger of getting fired. These are guys who, if things do not go well for their team, they're out of a job. Now, in the sports world, when a coach is in danger of getting fired, we call that the hot seat. And obviously, all of the guys on this list are people who, they're here because their team hasn't done good enough, right? Their team is underachieved. They're not winning enough games. And so, these are four NFL head coaches on the hot seat. Coach number one is Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Now, here's the truth. Last year was a disappointing year for Arizona. They were supposed to get better and improve, and they got some new talent and a young quarterback. And instead of getting better, they just went 8-8, eight and eight, which I guess was an improvement on a bad year, but not really the progress Arizona was looking for. Now, this year in Arizona, they have even more talent, more offensive weapons. They added A.J. Green, better players on defense. They added J.J. Watt, a couple of other people. Uh, and they still have one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, Kyler Murray. So if Arizona is not in the mix competing for a playoff spot, they just have to be in the hunt, in my opinion. I don't know that Arizona has to make the playoffs in order for them to be like, yeah, we like our coach, we'll keep Cliff Kingsbury. But if they're not even in the mix or even close, then yeah, I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to get fired at the end of this year. And here's what's weird about Cliff Kingsbury. He used to be the head coach in college at Texas Tech. And in college as a head coach... He had a losing record. And I always looked at that and justified it by saying, well, like he's bad at recruiting and maybe, you know, it's hard to recruit at Texas Tech and maybe it's not his strong suit. Maybe in the NFL, Cliff Kingsbury can focus solely on the X's and O's and becoming a good head coach and not have to worry about recruiting and that'll make him even better. Here's the unfortunate reality, though, is that he struggled in college and now he struggled again in the NFL. He has a losing record as a head coach. He's, he's never had a great year as a head coach. You're like, we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think he went eight and five one time at Texas Tech. Like, that's his best year ever coaching 
as a head coach ever. And you're like, well, how did this guy go from college to the NFL? Losing record in college, once again, as a losing record in the NFL. And so if things do not get better this year in Arizona, he's out of excuses. Like, he's clearly not going to keep his job in Arizona. And I believe that is the right move. Coach number two on the hot seat is Bears head coach Matt Nagy. Uh, now, Matt Nagy, I don't hate this guy. He once won the NFL Coach of the Year award, actually. And in fact, for the last couple of years, I have been blaming all of the Bears' problems on their quarterback, or well, I guess their former quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, where I think Trubisky many times on film had opportunities downfield, had great throws open, and wouldn't pull the trigger or make an inaccurate throw or not see somebody open. I think there were many, many times where Matt Nagy made good play calls and his quarterback simply didn't execute. Now, it's kind of a chicken or the egg question. You know, question. It's like, well, is it the coach's fault for not helping the quarterback get better or is it the quarterback's fault for not capitalizing on opportunities? I don't know. Uh, certainly what I know is that Trubisky is now gone and therefore so are all of the excuses for Matt Nagy. He now has Andy Dalton at quarterback. He's got Justin Fields, a really, really talented young quarterback waiting in the wings and in order to keep his job in Chicago, Matt Nagy has to show, hey, I was never the problem. It was always Mitchell Trubisky. I think it's very possible he keeps his job. But again, if the Bears don't perform well or look badly coached or very, you know, all kinds of disarray and they're making having penalties and missing assignments, that's still on the coach. And so with Trubisky out, the pressure I think actually is raised more than ever before on Matt Nagy. He's got to show, hey, I was never the problem, and our Bears team is going to take a step forward. And if they don't do that, if the Bears don't get better, Matt Nagy's going to lose his job. Coach number three, uh, who a guy who's in danger of losing his job, and it's kind of a surprise to me, but I've heard his name brought up a ton, is actually the Denver Broncos head coach, Vic Fangio. And he's in danger of losing his job, but I don't think it's entirely justified. Last year, for example, in Denver, Many, many key players got hurt, like starter after starter after starter got hurt out for the year. And I don't know how that's the head coach's fault, blaming him for guys getting injured or having COVID, this and that. And then I would also point out during his time in Denver, the Broncos have never had a really good starting quarterback. Like Vic Fangio is a defensive guy. He's a defensive coach. And his roster is full of a ton of talent. He is a guy who many people even say that now, I mentioned Matt Nagy's Coach of the Year award. Many people say that he is actually the reason why Matt Nagy won the Coach of the Year because before he was in Denver, he was in Chicago as a defensive coordinator and did a fantastic job with the Chicago Bears coaching their defense. So I think Vic Bongio is getting blamed for stuff that is not necessarily his fault, tons of injuries, not having a quarterback. And I think if he can hold on to his job long enough to maybe get a guy like, maybe they trade for Aaron Rodgers next offseason or... Maybe they draft somebody. I thought it was almost criminal they didn't draft Justin Fields, a decision that I don't know was entirely Vic Fangio's you know, decision. I think the GM made that call, not the coach. Uh, he definitely got his guy, Patrick Sertan, the corner from Alabama. But I don't know, man. I just don't know that he's a bad coach. I think he might be more unlucky, a guy who's never had a quarterback, had tons of injuries, and Broncos fans will surely disagree with that. But I, I'm not ready to run... Vic Fangio out of town, Fangio, Fangio, I don't actually know how you say, A or on, I don't know. But anyway, I think the guy has shown he's a good coach in the past with the Bears. I don't think everything that's gone wrong in Denver is his fault. And to see him take the blame seems a bit ridiculous. Now, the final coach who isn't potentially, I can't even talk, the final coach who's potentially in danger 
of losing his job is Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach. He's been there for two years. He has a 6-25-1 record as an NFL head coach. Two years ago, Andy Dalton was his quarterback. They went 2-14. and 14. They got the number one overall pick. Last year started really well. They had Joe Burrow playing awesome, and then Joe Burrow got hurt out for the year. And it's a bit cheap to blame a coach for having a bad year when your starting quarterback gets injured and, you know, messes up their knee. And then on top of that, you know, the Bengals late in the year beat a really, really good Pittsburgh Steelers team. And they did it without Joe Burrow. They did it with a backup quarterback and they beat a playoff team, Pittsburgh. So it's a mixed bag for Zach Taylor. Two years ago, it seemed like they were tanking, trying to get the number one overall pick. Last year, Joe Burrow got hurt. So they had no quarterback. Now this is year three for Zach Taylor and he has to show the world he can coach. Now, part of why Zach Taylor might lose his job is, you know, to make room for Joe Brady. Joe Brady, remember, worked with Joe Burrow in college at LSU. He is currently the Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator, so they could fire Zach Taylor simply to make room so they could bring in Joe Brady as their new ex-head coach. Uh, But, man, I really think that blaming Zach Taylor for the bad year last year seems very, very heartless and totally unfair so I'm not a fan of, yeah, we'll see how the year goes. Maybe week 17, I'll be saying different stuff. Uh, but currently where I stand now, I look at Zach Taylor and I go, ah, you've only won six games in two years. Like it's time to show the world you can coach. And if you don't, unfortunately, Zach Taylor is going to lose his job. All right, guys, my name is Zach Shomler. I'm going to take a short break when I return. Uh, we'll talk about Josh Rosen. We will talk about Scott Frost, Baker Mayfield, Apparently, there's a graduate assistant who is now the starting quarterback for an SEC school. That's very interesting to me. And I want to add one more note. I I did a lot of cuts in this topic. Dude, I have a guy outside just like, like every 10 seconds revving up this leaf blower. And it's been like every, every time I start recording again, he revs it up again. I'm like, is he waiting for me to talk and hearing me then starting up? I don't know. Uh, But that has been a weird it really threw me off on this topic, just behind the scenes for the full podcast listeners. I got to tell you, that was been really, it's a big hurdle I dealt with during recording this topic, and it drove me nuts. Anyway, my name is Axe Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, if you look back from the Tom Brady topic on during this episode, I've had another curtain hung up on my left. I think... I'm making progress, man. I think the audio gets better and better every day. I'm doing a better job editing more and more sound and making the lighting look better. And I just feel very, very happy with the progress I'm making in the studio. And uh, I hope it sounds good because I really, I really like what's going on. I want to now shift to, it's not an Ask Zach Patreon question, but Menko wrote in on Patreon. He recommended that I listen to the most recent interview that Josh Rosen gave following a preseason game against the Cleveland Browns. Remember, Josh Rosen is a former first-round pick at quarterback who was cut multiple times, been on multiple teams in just the span of a couple of years. But now he finds himself in Atlanta on the Falcons playing under Matt Ryan, a guy who I think has got a very similar skill set to him, a perfect quarterback for him to learn from and grow his game and uh, hopefully model his game after because they've got a very, very similar ability to throw the football and they're both less mobile. So hopefully Josh Rosen can learn from Matt Ryan a lot and develop his game that way. Um, but 
it's pretty interesting. Days after he arrived in Atlanta, like literally, like he got there, got signed off waivers, found himself almost immediately in Atlanta and playing in their final preseason game against the Cleveland Browns. He even threw a touchdown, by the way. I think it was like nine for 18 passing, had one touchdown. And there was some ugly stuff going on. It wasn't really his fault. Remember, Josh Rosen just got there, doesn't really know the playbook. He's playing with a bunch of backups who you would assume as well don't know the playbook very well. And it's just a mess and a lot of miscommunications and fringe NFL guys running the wrong routes and doing all kinds of stuff. But I thought in spite of everything, not only did Josh Rosen play pretty well, given the circumstance, he also gave a post-game interview that I really, really liked. He sounded like he's been humbled a lot by his NFL journey. Remember, in 2018, when he got drafted, he sounded, frankly, very, very cocky, just saying stuff, running his mouth, I'm the best quarterback in the draft, nine mistakes are made ahead of me, all this just talk. And he does not sound cocky anymore. He sounds way more reflective. And Josh Rosen's new mindset made me go, huh, I'm rooting for this guy. I'm not very confident in him. Like, I don't know that he's going to be able to turn his NFL career around and succeed. Uh, But it would be very, very cool to see him do that, revive his career. And I got to say, whenever Josh Rosen does retire, I want to interview that guy. Like, I really want to sit down and talk to him and have a conversation and hopefully record it. Because it'd be really fun to ask him, like, he's been so, you know, open and reflective. And once his career is over, he's got nothing to lose. Like, hey, come on the show. Let's talk about what's gone on. Why you think you failed or struggled. Or maybe he, maybe like 10 years from now, he finally retires after a great NFL career. And he does well. And he does turn it around. So either way, I know there's a really, really compelling story there. And I already am like, man, I really want to talk to Josh Rose and hear about the journey and what he's been through and what he's learned along the way. So I don't know. I just, I'm rooting for Josh Rosen a lot. I want to shift gears now to something. uh, This is me being slightly sensitive. Like, sure, like I am being definitely a little bit touchy. Uh, I don't normally respond to YouTube comments. But earlier, earlier I was talking about Baker Mayfield, and I said this. Take a listen. The Cleveland Browns have maybe the best roster in the division entirely. They have year two with their young head coach, Kevin Stefanski. Baker Mayfield, I got a lot of confidence in him. People hate on Baker, but it's like, well... He's had nothing around him in Cleveland. He still has his job, and he's taken Cleveland to the playoffs. I don't know how much, how much more you want from Baker Mayfield. Now, after I put this topic on YouTube, I got a lot of comments from people who clearly did not understand what I meant. And I, I don't blame them. I think I could have been way more clear. Although I did literally praise the Browns roster and say how much talent they had. But I, I don't know. Uh, people grabbed onto the words, you know, nothing around him in Cleveland. And I want to further explain what I meant because I don't. I think I could have been more clear there. I was talking about how I believe Baker is unappreciated. Clearly, I said it poorly because so many people fully did not understand what I meant. But I was talking about how Baker has had so many coaches and coordinators during his time in Cleveland. And most guys could not overcome that, let alone eventually make it to the NFL playoffs. And Baker is a guy who not only got his team to the playoffs, he got the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs, and they won a playoff game with him as their quarterback. And so, in fact, Baker might even reach a second contract, which we're having contract conversations for Baker, which if you have followed the Browns, you know that a quarterback has not reached their second contract in Cleveland for a long, long time. And obviously the roster is loaded in Cleveland. I didn't mean to say he's got nothing around him. Like, oh, the team around him is not very good. But what I meant to say is that Baker has overcome a lot to get to this point. The coaching changes, the coordinator changes, learning new offenses. So I just, 
I think Baker's unappreciated. What he's done in Cleveland is ridiculously unprecedented and deserves a little bit more respect. Okay. Uh, I'm going to play a clip from the show the other day. It's on the longer side, well over two minutes. And then afterwards, I'm going to elaborate on it. So here's the clip. Enjoy that now. Nebraska lost to Illinois 30-22 to during college football week zero, their opening game of the season. And Nebraska football just does not appear to be making any kind of progress as a program. And it's, it's a big problem. This is year four in Nebraska for their head coach, Scott Frost. And unfortunately, he is now 12 and 20 as a head coach at Nebraska, which is just a pitiful, awful record for this is your fourth year in college football coaching that team. And remember, this is the same Scott Frost who went 13 and 0 coaching at Central Florida in 2017. He I, and I, I loved him back in the day because he went undefeated, went 13 and 0. He his team played in the Peach Bowl. They were massive underdogs and they beat Auburn in their bowl game. And not only did they beat Auburn, Scott Frost stayed with the team, usually because he got hired by Nebraska before the year was over, before the bowl game happened. And usually when that happens, the coach will leave and say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not coaching the bowl game. I'm already, I got a new job. I got to go attend to my new job. And instead of doing that, Scott Frost stayed with Central Florida for their bowl game, beat Auburn, then went to Nebraska. And I always thought that was very classy. Like, don't bail on your players, especially you're 12-0, and going to be going on 13-0. and you have unfinished business. You can't leave before that happens. And so I always loved that about Scott Frost. And then he went to Nebraska. And since 2017, Scott Frost has not had a winning season. He's had all kinds of bad news about him with transfers. And uh, Christian McCaffrey's little brother left the program. And there was a lot of bad blood there. And it's sad. And what's crazy even more is that when Scott Frost took the job at Nebraska and went to Nebraska, it was like going home for him because he was a starting quarterback in 1997 when he led Nebraska to a national title. So he was beloved. He's like the beloved son coming home, and it didn't work out. It's very, very sad. It seems like the dude is likely to be fired now, and uh, it makes me wonder, like, what happened? Like, how did he succeed at Florida, uh, Central Florida? Because watching Nebraska football now, his team lacks discipline. His team it lacks detail. It's crazy. Like, how is this guy a good? Like, is he a terrible coach? Is he a bad recruiter? Like, what's going on? It seems like Scott Frost getting fired at Nebraska is basically inevitable now, and, and that's very sad. Because again, this was a guy going home to a place where he was loved and wanted, and it seems like he just has failed really, really miserably at Nebraska. So I did some more research, and I found a couple things that are alarming, in my opinion. Uh, number one, apparently Scott Frost and Nebraska are being investigated by the NCAA for possible violations. Now, those violations include improper use of consultants and analysts during games and practices. Also, apparently they moved their uh, off-season workouts to an undisclosed loca- location last year, uh, and that was when workouts were shut down during COVID, so... Uh, Now, on top of that, number two, according to 24-7 sports reporter Brandon Marcello, uh, 54 players have transferred out of Nebraska. 54. Is that a typo? I found found the number 24 out there. I don't know that 54 is accurate. Uh, I could only find that information on Brandon Marcello's Twitter. But shout out to him. 
Seems like he does good work. I, I am one to trust that, but I want to give it a caveat because I couldn't find that number anywhere else other than on his Twitter page. Uh, so take it with a grain of salt if you want. But still, 24, 54, either way, that's a massive red flag. And 54 is like such an unbelievable number if that is true. Uh, and then number three, Scott Frost has the worst record. This is, this is absolutely true. He has the worst record as a Nebraska head coach since 1961. That's insanely bad. Oh, my goodness. And then to add more fuel to the fire, this is how bad things are going for Scott Frost. Nebraska football has this crazy long streak. I didn't know about it. Uh, apparently, the streak goes all the way back to 1962, where they sell out home football games every single game, and they've done so for like, you know, 40, 50 years, right? It's been a crazy long amount of time. Is that even, that's 60 years, roughly, right? That's about, that's like 59 years in a row. They've sold out their home stadium from 1962 to 2021. And apparently the streak was going to end. People were not excited. They weren't going to their next game. And some big donors swooped in. They bought all the remaining tickets for their upcoming game. And they're donating the tickets to kids, which is great. I love that. Good for the kids. I don't think anybody gets hurt by this story. But what it does show is that there's some real frustration in Nebraska. There are Nebraska fans don't care about their home streak. They would rather not go to a game for a team they don't support than allow their streak to continue. It's just interesting. Like This is a symptom and a, an example of how bad things have gone in Nebraska. I don't hate Scott Frost. Nothing like that. In fact, I actually feel bad when I see any coach get fired or lose their job. You know, That's a failed dream right in front of us. Nebraska is the, where Scott Frost played his college football. It's home for him, it seems like. Uh, and so watching a guy fail is, is sad and hard to watch. Uh, but unfortunately for Scott Frost, him getting fired seems like only a matter of time. And the question is when rather than if. Okay, uh, final story of the day. Here's a crazy one for you. The other day, I did a topic about the six, weeks one, uh, six week one college football games that you should watch and that should be on your radar. And I want to add a game. There's a game I had not considered watching. It's like a, it's South Carolina against a dinky football team. But before we get into that, you should learn the name Zeb Noland. Zeb Noland. He's a graduate assistant who will start at quarterback for South Carolina against Eastern Illinois for their season opener. I'm like, are you kidding me? How, how is a coach playing quarterback for their football team? And so the question is, what happened? And apparently the week one starter, uh, the guy who was supposed to be their starting quarterback, Luke Doty, uh, hurt his foot. And he's out indefinitely. And this SEC team was like, we don't really have anyone who can be our starting quarterback. They have a bunch of young quarterbacks. They've got a transfer quarterback from uh, a small FCS school. Even though South Carolina has a bunch of guys on the roster, apparently to me the message is pretty clear. They weren't confident in any of those guys. And they decided to turn to Zeb Noland because he's a graduate assistant who found out he still has one year of eligibility left. And they're like, yeah, this is our guy. Now, he played in college before. He was the uh, one of the backups behind Trey Lance at North Dakota State. And before that, he actually played at Iowa State. So it's not like Zeb Noland has never played quarterback in college before. It seems like clearly, again, the coaching staff must have looked around and said, got you know two freshmen, a sophomore, a senior quarterback transfer that we don't really love. So we trust Zeb more than any of these other quarterbacks. They went with him instead. Remember, this situation is helped further by the fact that Ryan Helinski, their former, uh, one of their former quarterbacks, transferred to Northwestern in January. So uh, behind Zeb, Nolan, the backup's going to be uh, Jason Brown, who transferred in from a small school, St. Francis. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't see why... 
South Carolina would have a problem with Eastern Illinois. That's a team that is very beatable, uh, no matter who their quarterback is. But Zeb Nolan, keep your eye on that. I don't know if he's going to do well, going to do bad, but it is very fascinating that they chose to go with a coach, a guy who is a graduate assistant, rather than going with one of their in-house guys who was already on the roster. So I'm excited to watch Zeb play. I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, I hope it's good. It'd be a fun story if he did very, very well. And uh, keep your eye on that. Uh, South Carolina plays Eastern Illinois on Saturday, September 4th, and uh, it's going to be really fun to watch. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much. This episode has been very, very long. Uh, I appreciate you. It's been a, I don't know, man, I'm really excited for the show to come out. I think a lot of good topics that are interesting and exciting, and uh, I'm just, I hope you're doing very, very well. I'm very grateful. I'm loving my life here. Uh, I'm trying to rest. I got a boogie board recently, and I've been I guess it's a body board. Like, I'm never going to surf where I stand up on a board. That's just not going to happen. I don't think – I've skateboarded. I've snowboarded. But I don't see myself being able to ride a wave in the ocean. That seems very, very difficult to me. But I got to say body surfing is something I'm like, ah, this is fun. I can float around, mostly float, mostly not riding waves. But either way, uh, it's something I, I – I hope you know. That, that's what I do in my free time now. Uh, I body surf. And that like, oh, it's, it's such a blast if you ever can – do it in warm water because the cold Oregon ocean would be awful to do that there. Uh, but I, I just, I'm man, I'm so happy. I'm loving my life. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you very much. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.